You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. We are here to discuss Avengers Endgame, which came out in 2019, directed by Anthony and Joe Russo. It stars Robert Downey Jr., Scarlett Johansson, Chris Hemsworth, Chris Evans, Paul Rudd, Mark Ruffalo, and a literal cast of thousands mostly gathered in front of green screens. The genre would be comic book action epic slash season finale. Now, I completely get why most diehard fans of the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, love this movie. It's pretty much a love letter to the fans. I just don't happen to be one of them. Is the movie fun and entertaining overall? Well, for the most part, and I'll give it props for sheer ambition as well. This and Infinity War, which was its predecessor, these were truly large-scale projects that could have easily been incoherent messes in the hands of less competent filmmakers than the Russo brothers. But the Russo brothers, their biggest strength, and it's not a small one, is that they are very good with actors. You can see everyone on screen bringing their A-game with heartfelt performances, especially those from Johansson, Downey, and Renner. There are also some very strongly delivered emotional beats throughout, whether it be Scott Lang, who was played by Paul Rudd, looking for his daughter, and a nicely written reunion between one major character and his father in the past. But that last one brings up the biggest problem with the film. The overall story really doesn't make much sense. You always run the risk of making things too complicated or too convoluted when you make time travel the linchpin of your narrative. And this story just continues to dig big holes for itself that are really never resolved, to the point of distraction. And if this comes off as nitpicking, I'm sorry, but the screenplay has a sizable chunk of lip service devoted to time travel, just calling more attention to it. We hear characters discussing it in depth, and that creates some problems. However, high hopes won't help if there's no logical, tangible way for me to safely execute said time heist. I believe the most likely outcome will be our collective demise. Not if we strictly follow the rules of time travel. That means no talking to our past selves, no betting on sporting events. I'm going to stop you right there, Scott. Are you seriously telling me that your plan to save the universe is based on Back to the Future? Characters are able to do things that would undoubtedly cause more harm than whatever they are trying to accomplish, especially that final emotional beat at the end. Spoiler alert. Just a warning, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen this. Now, is it emotionally gratifying to see Steve Rogers build a life with Peggy Carter? Of course. Hell, I loved their chemistry in the first Captain America movie. And I found myself very affected by the ending of that movie when they couldn't be together. It's a tragic, kind of bittersweet ending. But here's the problem. Completely changing the ending of that movie within the same franchise, within the same universe, which is supposed to set up this movie, doesn't that completely change the rest of the story? Because if that happens, then Captain America, he's not frozen. 
He doesn't join the Avengers 70 years later. There's no other explanation for how to make that story work, considering that we see an older Steve Rogers now interacting with all the same characters in the same timeline following their defeat of Thanos. I know this sounds really geeky, but look, Marvel fans I know have dissected this film ad nauseum, so hopefully I'm speaking your language. But for me, just from a you know a filmmaking standpoint, it's just lazy screenwriting, plain and simple. And it's just the most glaring example of trying to have your cake and eat it too when it comes to this kind of storytelling. And sorry here, Marvel fans, but this has been, for me, this has been a hallmark of this directing screenwriting team for years. From Winter Soldier to Civil War to Infinity War, now to this film, characters either get extremely lucky to get themselves out of harm's way, or they make idiotic decisions to put themselves there. Several of the more recent films in this franchise, they just never seem to follow the logic that they set out for themselves. Bottom line, it all seems much more geared, and this has become an increasing criticism of the Marvel Universe, it seems much more geared towards keeping the narrative flowing for the next film, more so than telling a single satisfying story. Like they just want you to keep coming back, which I get. And looking at the bigger picture here, that's inherently an issue with any, and I don't, just not just Marvel, I mean any extended cinematic universe. So to pin all of the blame on this on just one film or just one pair of filmmakers, and in this particular case, we're talking about the Russo brothers who directed it and the writers, Marcus and McFeely, who have been writing the last several films. To just blame them, it's not fair because basically all the players involved are following a long form outline of a story that they joined into well after its inception. And beyond that, the film just simply drags and it does not need to be three hours long. It too often stops dead in its tracks for forced humor that doesn't always land, and you feel it more as a result of the runtime. That suit did nothing for your ass. No one asked you to look, Tony. It's ridiculous. I think you look great, Cap. As far as I'm concerned, that's America's ass. The visuals and the action are solid, but they're not spectacular. And yes, there is that one major money shot of the Avengers assembling. Really, it's an amazing shot that delivers what it sets out to do. But beyond that, nothing else that really stood out to me from this film. And I even wish the climax, even with a three-hour runtime, the climax itself felt pretty rushed. And for such a large-scale conflict, it never felt that most of the characters were in any real danger. Save for one, except for one character. And yes, that death at the end of this film, of that character, is very nicely done. So bottom line, I'm so glad I saw this film. And I'm also feeling, honestly, pretty Avengered out at this point. I have loved Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner and Chris Hemsworth as Thor for the most part. And beyond that, actually, I think Robert Downey Jr. has been exceptional as Iron Man, Tony Stark in all these films. But the characters, they, a lot of these characters just seem to have run their course at this point. For the franchise overall, I would place Avengers Endgame firmly in the middle of it quality-wise. I mean, I'll give the film props for this. It dares to embrace genuine pathos much more so than other recent MCU films. And they have the actors to really pull it off. I used to have nothing. And then I got this. This job. This family. And I was... I was better because of it. So I would probably rank Endgame right in the middle of the franchise, and probably as my third favorite Avengers film overall. It's far below the joyous insanity of that first one from 2012, which still really holds a special place in my heart. That film, The Avengers from 2012, it not only set the bar for this franchise, 
but in my opinion, for team-up superhero films in general. It was just a tighter, fresher, and more satisfying movie that truly blended action and humor at a level of perfection not seen really often outside of maybe the best Lethal Weapon films from the 1980s. Avengers Endgame overall was a solid yet very flawed film overall. And that brings me to the categories. The first category would be Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or score used throughout the runtime of the film. Alan Silvestri, he's the composer for this, and he has done the score for all but one of the Avengers films. And I still find myself a sucker for his catchy original Avengers theme, which we do hear in snippets throughout this film. But here in Endgame, he really outdoes himself with the clip called Portals. It's a pretty popular song now. And Portals is that thunderous celebratory music which plays during that scene. Yeah, if you've seen the film, you know the scene. Hell, if you just watch stuff on YouTube, you've seen the scene being parodied and chopped up and done all kinds of goofy things with all over the place. But make, make no mistake, it is a fun, rousing scene where we see all the Avengers assemble, and you would just have to have a heart of stone not to find his music for just a little bit stirring. And that brings us to the next category, and this is a loaded category. Wasted talent. Wasted talent are the most underutilized talent involved with a film. <sighs> now, wow. Take your pick from the plethora of strong actors who I feel have sadly been genuinely wasted in some of the more recent supersized MCU movies pretty much since Captain America Civil War. This is an issue of mine. One of my biggest issues with this franchise in general has not only been in how it has underutilized so many gifted actors and actresses, especially actors of color, from Glenn Close to Forrest Whitaker to Don Cheadle to Annette Bening to Mads Mikkelsen to Angela Bassett to Chiwetel Ejiofor. I could literally devote an entire episode just towards listing all of the top flight talent who have collected their Marvel money. Wait, hey, can't turn down good money for roles that I would consider to be nothing roles, paycheck roles. But for Endgame, after all that, I'm still going to narrow it down to one egregiously wasted talent. And that would be Mark Ruffalo, who plays Bruce Banner slash the Hulk. Now, to be fair to the folks at Marvel Studios, Bruce Banner slash Hulk has always been a very tricky character to portray on screen from the get-go and for several reasons. He's bright green, which can look very silly in the wrong hands. He's extremely overpowered, which minimizes the danger you can put him in, or the suspense at least. And like Superman, he's also a very cost-prohibitive character. It's always very much effects-driven uh, to see him in action. So it takes a lot of effort, a lot of money to show him convincingly. But also, for most actors, playing Bruce Banner slash the Hulk, it could be a relatively thankless part. However interesting you play the human version, most audiences are just waiting to watch this guy Hulk out. That's kind of the, the pitfall of this, of this role. Now, in that first Avengers movie in 2012, Mark Ruffalo, with the help of director Joss Whedon, he found ways to navigate these pitfalls to actually make Hulk Banner 
the standout character of a film which admittedly had several notable characters. He was just so good at playing the quiet, nuanced side of Banner, trying to figure out his place in this crazy situation. And that's, of course, set up the glorious payoff of seeing him just cut loose as the, quote, big green guy in that climax in New York City. But sadly, since that movie, his character has become more and more of a joke. By the time we see Hulk and Banner appear again in Thor Ragnarok, which came out a couple years ago, Bruce Banner has become a broad caricature, which sadly even carries over to the big green guy as well. But wow, in Endgame, I'm at a loss as to why the Russo brothers take this character even further into caricature. For the entire runtime, he is now, quote, Professor Hulk, a calmer version of the big green guy who still sounds exactly like Ruffalo. Okay, calm down, Marvel fans. Listen, I know there was a version like this in the comic books. I know it was in the comic books. That's fine. But so what? Does that mean that this version of the character will work on the big screen? Because for me, he clearly does not. Just the image of a walking, talking, fully clothed, but bright green Hulk wearing the glasses, but with the voice of Ruffalo. I'm sorry. It's just ridiculous in itself. I put the brains and the brawn together. And now look at me. Best of both worlds. Excuse me, Mr. Hulk? Yes. Can we, can we get a photo? 100% little person. Come on, step on up. You mind? Oh, yeah. Thanks. Say green. 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 And here's the, here's the even bigger kicker. This is the thing that even bothered me more about this character. We never actually get to see the Hulk involved in any of the action. Yeah, the Hulk. You have three hours of Avengers insanity, and they could not include one action beat involving the Hulk. It boggles the mind how they found new ways to not only make this character more of a joke, but to take away from the truly standout characterization which Ruffalo gave him the first time around. So yes, Wasted Talent is Mark Ruffalo, a great actor, and Bruce Banner and the Hulk, great characters. And that brings me to the next category, and that would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this film. And I'll admit, in the last third of this movie, there are some significant trailer moments, but I'm going to narrow it down to one. Allow me to set the scene. Thanos has attacked the remaining Avengers on Earth, near their headquarters in upstate New York. Each of them have been pummeled by the Purple Titan, and all looks bleak. There's nothing but wreckage everywhere, and the sky has even turned dark. It's like out of a Zack Snyder movie. Oh no, Thanos, he's gotten a hold of Thor's Stormbreaker hammer. That's the one that was developed in Infinity War. This is the one that Peter Dinklage helped forge for him out of a star. The same Stormbreaker, which Thor almost defeated Thanos with previously. If only he had aimed for the head. Thanos is slowly thrusting Stormbreaker's blade into Thor's chest. All is lost. And then suddenly, Thanos gets knocked back with a strange object flying out of nowhere. It's Mjolnir, Thor's original hammer. But wait, this isn't Thor who's using it this time. Nope, it flies back into the hands of Captain America. Yep, that's your trailer moment. And it's actually a nice callback to probably the best scene in Age of Ultron, which is the second Avengers film, when at a party, Cap came the closest to actually lifting the hammer. That's not only your trailer moment, that's your applause moment. Captain's got the hammer, and things are turning. And that brings me to the final category, and that would be the MVP. This is the person or people most responsible for the success of this film. The answer's obvious. The true king of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The producing whiz who over the past 13 years has spearheaded the highest grossing film franchise in history, 
unadjusted for inflation, including a post-2009 premium pricing and fully capitalizing on the explosion of the Chinese film market post-2011. But regardless, there can only be one, and his name is Feige. Kevin Feige, that is. The president of Marvel Studios, who built this franchise up from a core group of IP back in the early 2000s, which didn't even include its most popular character at the time. They didn't have ownership of Spider-Man. And only partially owned its second most popular character at the time. That was the Incredible Hulk. That's why they had to share him with Universal. Me personally, I genuinely like about half the films in this universe. And I actually loved several of the earlier films, including the first Iron Man, Thor, and of course that first Avengers film. Also, I really, really like Iron Man 3 and Black Panther. But yeah, you could say that I was a fan of the MCU before it was cool. You know, back when they were just playing small clubs. <laughs> but, re but regardless of any issues I might have with the overall quality of many of these films... I would be lying or just being a hater if I couldn't acknowledge that what Kevin Feige has done from a commercial standpoint is damn impressive. He created the first fully functional shared universe of characters in film. And if that sounds easy, it's not. Trust me. Going back decades, Joel Silver, the king of 80s action movies, one of my favorites, he was overseeing the Lethal Weapon franchise. Remember that Leo Getz spinoff movie? Oh yeah, that right. That never happened. Eon Productions, they've been running the James Bond franchise for 50 plus years. They tried to do a spin-off movie back in the early 2000s with the character Jinx, the one Halle Berry played in Die Another Day. Never happened either. And remember how successful and beloved that Solo, a Star Wars story spin-off movie was a few years ago from those folks at Lucasfilm? Yep, that's my point. Feige has pulled off what other brilliant film minds could not. He laid the groundwork for these characters and all of their interlocking stories. Avengers Endgame, its overall success, and the overall market dominance of the MCU franchise would not have happened if not for him. It's Feige who should be the one carrying Thor's hammer. And that brings us to the final rating for this film. My overall rating for Avengers Endgame, and just this film in particular, would be two and a half stars out of five. I get it if you enjoy it. If you're a fan of these characters, I get how you would love watching them all in this huge, epic, generally enjoyable film. But for me, it just doesn't really hold up as a singular film experience, just for me. But if you love it, God bless, enjoy. If you want to catch Avengers Endgame, it should be available on Disney Plus for all subscribers. And that ends another marvelous review. Please subscribe to the Living for the Cinema podcast. And also follow and like us on Facebook and Instagram. Join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.